I'll just say who's the most trusted person in the world. I mean, nurses are high to people. They're higher than doctors, uh, some of these other people. But the most trusted person in the world to the most people globally is... Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have best-selling author and CEO of Trust Edge, David Horsager, as he shares the eight pillars of trust, the three questions you need to ask to make something happen, and reveals the most trusted person in the world. Last episode, we took on adversity with Josh Sundquist, and this week, we dive into the complexities of trust with David Horsager. I started off by asking about the role of trust in coaching youth sports. When kids understand the importance of trust, there's several different sides of it there. So one is trusting yourself enough to go for it. When I was telling you about how we won every game in football and we lost every game in basketball, our football coach trusted us to make mistakes and wanted us to give our best, and he coached us through it. Our basketball coach, I was scared to death to take a shot. And when I took one, it didn't go in much. And because I was so playing scared all the time. So it isn't that we should, you know, in business and leadership and life, that we should trust people inappropriately. I often say, just because I believe in trust doesn't mean I believe you should trust everyone or you should trust them for what they'll do. So it doesn't mean you should start trusting that guy who did that to you. Uh, you should trust people for what they do all the time. So if you're late all the time, I will in fact trust you to be late. If you don't wear enough clothes, I trust you are Kardashian, right? So, so we're going to trust you for what you do all the time. But, but for kids and parents, it is remembering as a coach to kids, trust them so they can learn. It's a learn by doing. Trust them enough to try so that they start to trust themselves because that's what you want to build in them at that age. Now, you work with teams like the Yankees and some others and definitely list those off, but what do you teach them now? Just to set it up, everything I talk about is trust. I believe I believe your core issue, my core issue, the government's core issue, it's never a leadership issue. It's never a sales issue. It's never an engagement issue. It's always a trust issue. So a leader's not being followed. Why? Because they're not trusted. A salesperson's not being bought from, usually because they're not trusted. A teacher's not being respected, usually because the kids don't trust them. So it's always a trust issue. And a trust issue affects the bottom line more than anything else. There's a huge cost where there's a lack of trust, and it's the same on teams. So, you know, not to get too academic, but in my grad research, this this all came around a decade and a half or almost two decades ago. And these eight components of the most trusted leaders and organizations of all time. So I'm teaching that eight. Now we call it the eight pillar framework. When it comes out of research, it just spits out as traits, but we call them pillars today. And that's what I'm teaching them. And, and just to give us that, that snapshot, what are those eight pillars? We Clarity. People trust the clear and they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous. We trust compassion, those that care beyond themselves, that that was really intent. We trust if, if you as a salesperson or leader, I believe you actually care about me, I might trust you. Uh, we trust character, those that do what's right or what's easy. We trust competency. I might trust you, Brian, to take my kids to the ball game because of your character and because of your compassion. It doesn't mean I'll trust you to give me a root canal because <laughs> of competency. Yeah. We trust commitment. We trust those that stay committed in the face of adversity. We trust, uh, connection of those that are willing to connect and collaborate with others, not those that are only on their own. And in fact, all those first six pillars I said, they're all C's. You might think, oh, this is a motivational book. It's not research-based because it's all C's. The next pillar, contribution, the first word that came out of the research funnel was results. We trust those that contribute results. So if you, you might be a sweet surgeon, you might be a, um, 
a smart surgeon, but we go in for amputation and you cut off the wrong leg, we got a problem. You've got to deliver results. And this is the work of our work. We have to deliver results, but we also have to do it with compassion, character, and competency because all eight matter. It's not just just one. You can have you can lose on any one of them. I've seen uh, great sales teams contribute results for a while, but not have character and lose everything. I've seen uh, great compassionate people not ever deliver results. They you got to have all eight. The final pillar is consistency. That's sameness. That's why we trust McDonald's even if we don't like them. Right? I've had the same burger on six continents. <laughs> Pickles off center everywhere I go. I say, but but the, but we trust whatever you do all the time consistently. So that and and I would I will argue really. I hope not arrogantly, but passionately, these eight, you can solve any leadership and organizational issue against these eight. See, people say, oh, you like C's, Dave. Isn't communication never an issue? Communication is never the core issue, ever. We throw out these words and we never solve the real issue. In the communication example, communication is happening all the time. Clarity, clear communication is trusted, unclear isn't. Compassionate communication is trusted, uncompassionate isn't. High character communication is trusted, low character isn't, and so on. So when you deal with these eight, you have a chance at solving the real challenge. Now, you've been doing this a long time. Is there one that has the most focus right now or the most in in demand out of all these? They, uh, that's interesting that you say that. I'll, I'll make two comments about that. You know, there's a lot of trust issues in our world. Um, I argue everything is a trust issue, but we're, we're dealing with everything from corruption issues in, in Africa to, um, you know, sports issues to a lot of corporate issues. Character and risk, you can think about Wells Fargo, Volkswagen, Tiger Woods lost $110 million in two weeks in endorsements when he breached trust. So character is still a big issue, but when framed as ethics, I used to be an ethics professor, you know, nobody wants to buy ethics. It's either too late or they don't think they need it. So, but character still still is central as far as risks are concerned. Consistency is a big one. They're all big and basically as a package big, but the one I was going to land on is clarity. You can do something about clarity and you can see results in two weeks. Character commitment, that's harder. If you've got a challenge there, we might have to work on that longer. But, and if you don't have clarity, of in the vision of values. It's hard to build character. It's hard to build consistency. It's hard to build other things if you don't have clarity. And so clarity is critical. And what I see around the world is people think they're clear when they're not. And so we used to say people trust the clear, they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous. They also mistrust or distrust the overly complex. So we get these universities, I can tell us a, a, a company that lost because they went away from a clear little acronym that they built the company on. And then they said, we got to hire all these Ivy League people because now we've grown so much and, and they overcomplicated everything. And that company tanked. What's a, what's a way to sort of build that clarity message? Well, uh, one way, you know, I talk about this for a long time. I'll give you one quick little <laughs> way. All right, right. I hope it's quick. Um, I will often argue the three questions that drive strategic, the most overlooked, underused questions that drive strategic clarity are not what people think they are. So as an example, there's a lot about the why right now. And the why is great, but I've seen some great organizations with wonderful whys, kumbaya, not getting anything done. And I am for the why, but it's not everything. There's a lot about the who, get the right who's on the bus and all this. And I've seen some buses full of fun who's go off the cliff. So it's great to ask the why, because the why does motivate and unify. It's great to get the right who's on the bus, but the most overlooked questions, three of them, 
that actually drive strategic clarity, that give hope that lead to action. And I'll tell you ahead of time here, compelling, aren't I? Um, that, that, that these three questions have been used to change cultures of organizations. The second biggest healthcare organization in North America was changed by these three. We've had a uh, dealer, an implement dealer said, I use these three questions and I increased my sales by 4.2 million in three months. We've had someone say they tripled sales in 90 days, actually multiple people. But why am I passionate about it? Actually, it was these three questions they're the reason that I lost 52 pounds in five months in 2011. So it's often a function of clarity that gives me hope that I can actually do it. So number one question, how am I going to get there? Try to listen as if for the first time. Number two, it's very similar. How am I going to get there? The most important of all is, of course, how. And so I will argue that people need to ask how at least three times. It might take seven. So a couple quick quick examples, because I think this is worth getting. This biggest healthcare organization in North America, I'm sitting down with them. They said, we've had all these consultants in, David, but we've never done anything differently. I can see the problem pretty quickly. First half of the day, we did trust work. Second half of the day, we have to solve things. I said to the CEO, what would you like to see different? What, what would you actually like to see here? And he stood up in front of everybody and said, we would like to um, have a better culture. I said, great. How are you going to start to have a better culture? He sat down, talked to his brilliant people. And this is a private location, big letters behind their name. I say, you know, PhD and CEO and ADD. Anyway, they, um, they talk about it and he stands up, CEO stands up. And this is what he says that day, nine years ago about, he said, we think clarity is a good place to start. Like you said, we're going to be more clear. I said, how are you going to be more clear? He sat down, talked to his team, stood up and he said, we're going to communicate more. Do I trust him yet? No chance. I said, how are you going to communicate more? He went on one more time. He said, uh, back and forth. He said, we're going to hold each other accountable. I said, how are you going to hold each other accountable? And we asked how seven more times and everybody in that leadership team asked how until they could do something differently today or tomorrow. That's the key. People think they're clear when they're not. So in, in big organizations, I mean, the biggest in the world we've worked with, and they think they can't get there. Oh, we've got 22 rocks. We've got 50 goals. How, how, how until they can do it today or tomorrow. And they can. And if you don't have a, the final how must include the who, when, and where. So if I'm going to work out and I don't know it's 530 in the morning, I won't do it. If I don't know, I'm either going to run out the door or go for the gym. I won't do, I will, won't do either. If, if you are doing this as teams, you got to have a final who. There's a kind of deception in our world today that we should have collab, um, co-leadership. And statistics say you have 50% less chance of it getting done if you have more than one leader to a task. Collaborative leadership is great, but co-leadership is terrible. So uh, a quick example, um, and I don't judge anybody, I'm dealing with different things today, but when people often ask me how to lose the weight, as an example, I start asking me, how do you, you know, anybody that looks fit on the road that flies like we do 200 times a year and all these kind of things, how do you stay fit on the road? And I heard the same thing around the world, eat less, exercise more. That was not clear enough. <laughs> so I started asking, but how, how, how? So I got a handful of ideas and I'll tell you one, just because I think this helps people get how clear they need to be to have hope that will change something. So I'm, I still remember the stage. This doctor came up to the left-hand side of the stage after an event. He said, here's an idea for you, David. Um, most men in America, this might not work for you. You may not do it, but it's an idea. Most men in America, if they wouldn't drink their calories, they'd lose 30 to 50 pounds in a year eating, eating exactly the same. Mm. I said, wow. And I started thinking about this. I don't drink a lot of alcohol, so that wasn't an issue. And I don't judge anybody. I just, that wasn't, uh, I thought I could not do that for a time. So I, that was one. And uh, I said, uh, what about juice? Shouldn't you have juice for, you know, vitamin C? He said, you want to catch a cold? Drink juice. It's full of sugar. Kills your immune system. People are totally deceived. Drink a glass of water. 
Stop drinking juice. I haven't had juice for seven years. My thing was soda, because I grew up in the poorest county in Minnesota, youngest of six kids. We didn't get to have it. We did not, except for every other year at the county fair, you had one can between six kids. That's fun. And by the way, it wasn't Coke like the rich kids. It was, it was you know, Shasta. I started thinking about that. And, and in, when I get on the plane, I usually fly Delta. The calorie-free is, is Fresca. I'm automatic today. If you sit next to me, Fresca, Fresca, Fresca. People sometimes come up to me at the book table. And, oh, David, you shouldn't, you know, that's got aspartame and aspartame. I can't spell it, but it's bad for you too. And it probably is. But leave me alone. I had to make one change at this time. The point is... You've got to ask how until you can act on it today or tomorrow. And and people don't get there. We want a better culture. Okay, we're going to appreciate people more. Okay, are we going to, until someone tells me they're going to write a note every day for 90 days, I don't trust them. That's clarity that leads to hope, that leads to action. Well, one of the things I like about this message is that it's it's universal. You know, so you can have a team that's a leadership team, it's a sales team, it's, you know, accounts payable, it's whatever it might be, but it's also this global theme. Like I, I'm, I'm so curious to know you're talking about you know, doing all this work in Kenya. And I know in your white paper, your 2019 white paper, um, you know, reading some about that trust and law enforcement, I know that's a hot button issue, but how does that play into it in like a global sense, especially, I'm just curious about Kenya too, how that fits in. Yeah. We, you know, we've grown to love Kenya and other parts of the world that we work in. We're doing some significant things there, both in business, in government and, uh, and with police reform. Um, first of all, I will say this about the eight pillars what we've found globally across industries is the eight pillars are true globally, but we still contextualize. And where we need to contextualize especially is two levels down. So I might say compassion is one of the pillars. It turns out everywhere in the world, people trust others more if they feel like they care about them, if they have intent for them. One way, one level down on compassion, one way we show compassion is by listening, okay? So, and it turns out everywhere in the world, People feel more care when they feel listened to. One more level down needs contextualization, often at least. Uh, in America, the most trusted way to listen that builds compassion is looking someone in the eye generally. Some parts of the world, the most trusted way to listen to someone would be respectfully not looking them in the eye. So how I do it matters. So just like in America, you know, we're, we're working with the the police chief of, of Las Vegas, we're working with, you know, um, John Deere, we're working with FedEx or whatever it is, we contextualize for that group or especially sales, uh, you know, it's, it's really, and this isn't a word, but contextualizable. So let's go back to clarity since I brought that up earlier. Clarity is a pillar everywhere, but even in America, um, if we're dealing with a sales team, they may especially need to focus on clarity of the benefits of this. Like if I'm clear about the benefits, I might be able to sell it. The problem is we're all clear on how cool we are. I've been doing this for a hundred years. Nobody cares. Clear about the benefits. For a leader, they might need to be clear about the vision or clear about the values. And, and so uh, for a, a teacher, clarity is still critical. Most the students are frustrated because they're not clear about the assignment. So it, here you can see contextualization. Now take that up a few notches when you go global, because there's so many different issues, challenges, uniquenesses. In the work in Africa and Kenya, especially police reform as an example, and the eight pillars, here in America, we really weight heavily that seventh pillar contribution, results, getting results. In Kenya or many Latin American countries or other parts of the world, they might more heavily weight the connection or community pillar. And so it's true though, in Kenya, they want to see results. And it's true in America, 
we actually like relationships, connection, and community, and we trust people that will do those. But how we weight those, understand those, the historical context of those matters. So if we can speak, you know, in our last uh, workbook, we had some Swahili, we had some, some uh, we're, we're working with PhDs to contextualize our work because a lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of other training companies, big names that you would know here, they just spit it all over there and it doesn't really last or they made a bunch of money doing it. We actually have built our practice and our, our whole institute on results. So we drive, we're driving attrition down or we're driving, in this case, um, there's corruption issues. We might, we, might, uh, we might market against some metric like less bribes, you know, it could be. And again, this isn't always the, probably the focus of your talk, but like where does America fit in those things? Like the most trusted things, where it's police officers or other things, what mm-hmm. are the, you know, because you're doing all this research, what yeah. surprises you? The least pr- trusted won't surprise you. What people say and what you find out in the, in the, you know, in our validated uh, research and survey is, is a lot of the people that would be named, politicians and other things. Um, I'll just say who's the most trusted person in the world. I mean, nurses are high to people. They're higher than doctors, uh, some of these other people. But the most trusted person in the world to the most people globally is mom. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. And we can learn something from mom. Mom is, uh, she'll, in a, around the world, mom will sacrifice. She'll put salve in that ugly wound. She'll stay up late with that science project. She really cares beyond herself. And there's some, there's something to learn from that and see from that. So that's, for whatever it's worth, there's a little thought. Now, how did you, I know you said you did all this research and, and a lot of those people who do research and, you know, for their master's or whatever. Just you know, Google. They do it. Just Google it. Yeah. They do it. <laughs> what no. made you decide to start speaking on this? You know, okay, mine, now we do, you know, one of the biggest pieces of validated research. And I joke with people that say they did research and, you know, they just Googled it or whatever. But we, uh, you know, we're paying translation fees and we're using validated research firms in country to make sure we get the results we want. You know, our our studies last year was on the U.S. side, plus or minus 1.7%, on the global side, plus or minus 1.8% margin of error. Um, so what made me start this, you know, back in the, you know, I, you know when I started full-time speaking, it was 1999. I'd been doing some leadership pieces and whatnot, but I got asked to speak at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy, and just a few different things happened there right early on. But I'd been working with some organizations and they would say, we think it's this issue. We think we have that issue. And I'd be like, I think that's a trust issue. Not really, you know, in my mind, just intuitive, no research. When I started my grad work and my master's was in organizational leadership, I really just had a a, kind of this epiphany around trust and every paper I wrote and then my whole uh, thesis, my whole uh, graduate project dissertation became on trust. And at the time it was very unique. No one was writing on this. Now there's, you know, everybody's talking about trust, you know, great places to work throughout engagement in favor of trust as the number one metric for a best place to work. And Forbes made trust the business word of the year. And now people are talking about it, but back then Enron, other things are happening and they aren't talking about it. So I kind of dug into this through a, you know, a few kind of, I don't know, not, not so um, crazy epiphanies, but it was kind of like this, I think it's a trust issue. And that led to the grad work and that fueled the passion because in fact, I think it was true. And then that led to uh, using it in companies and it actually worked. And we've had people say, it's not like it's this new idea. People have been talking about trust. It's kind of, it's timely and yet it's timeless. And, and, but when people actually see the complexity of trust, even I thought I knew it all. I thought, oh, it takes a long time to build. Well, 
Actually, on 9-11, complete strangers trust each other in a moment. If they're running the same direction, a whole lot is built in the moment. Um, I thought, you know, be more transparent. Well, that's true, but confidentiality is also trusted. I thought, be confident. Well, arrogance isn't. Does that ever overlap? And it certainly does. So, so it's a lot more complex than I thought at first. And, but anyway, then I started using it in companies. It turned out it worked. The book came out and surprising to everybody became an authentic, not bought to the top bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller. I think this farm kid from uh, Verndale, Minnesota. And that was a surprise. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I think the, even the, the opening of Barnes & Noble, uh, uh, you know, was the, the biggest, uh, biggest book of the year, they said, that first day at Barnes & Noble, which was, was a surprise to everybody, including me, for sure. The, the biggest pride passion, I started using it in my own life, my own work with my own kids and my own wife, and it changed me forever because now I see it, and now we continue to see case studies, and we drive this off of case studies and tweaking and changing. How could we build trust faster there, more there? And it, it's continued to come under the eight pillars, but because we're doing ongoing research, we're seeing so much. We're also researching outside of the, the trust outlook companies all the time by using uh, our trust outlook, our, our enterprise trust index. So we, we're serving inside of organizations to show gaps of trust and closing them. But my best is getting to share the big concept, which I am passionate about, and just shifting thinking. A lack of trust is the biggest expense. Everything of value is built on it. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in the third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of Dean Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Young, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.